0: I came up here, I've got nine pages of notes. Oh wow. my goodness. That is a page breaker. That's, that's an and as I was sitting there, the Lord said, You silly boy. <laughs> <laughs> when will you so I don't know how much of my notes will be used today. I started this last week, and I originally titled the message in the beginning. And it quickly went to, uh, in the beginning, let's have a road trip. And I used uh, several books. This I, I really recommend this book, A Spiritual Evolution, by John McMurray. It is a wonderful book of a man's walk, who was a, was a pastor who started examining everything he believed and why he believed it. And the other book, um, On the Incarnation by Athanasius. Another really good book. It's only 1,500 years old, but that's okay. It stood the test of time. Just, Just a lot of good points because what I want to get to in our road trip, where we will end up, and where I ended last week's message after saying, you know, we started in the, the garden and you all know the story that we started off in the garden and we proceeded to mess it up and got out of the garden. But the thing you need to realize that God never stopped loving us. He was passionate about us. God was, to all of this, let me put it this way, to all of this, there is a spiritual realm behind all of this that is rarely looked at. And uh, I'm not going to touch on it a whole lot, but you need to be aware that there are things going on other than man that God is dealing with. And it's in the spiritual realm. But God was Yahweh. He was the God of gods. There was no one like him. There were other gods at the time. There are other gods now. And I'm not just talking mythology and and such. But God existed in the Trinity, always has, always will be, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he loves us with a passion that I still... I still don't think that we even understand why he did what he did for us, and I think one of the best examples of his his love for mankind was his relationship with Esau that you you find I'm not sorry not yes I am sorry his relationship with Enoch you find in Genesis five where Enoch had had a had children and When he was 65, he started then walking with God habitually. He walked with God every day for 300 years. So God was still in loving relationship with mankind, though mankind was quickly going down the tubes. Quickly going down because everything, when we hit the point of Noah, everything in man was evil. Every thought, every, every desire, every man, and I mean man and woman when I say man, it's, I'm not separating that out, were evil and without intent, and they were continually in that. But he loved Esau, why I keep saying Esau, he loved Enoch so much that he took him up to be with him and fellowship with him. Now, I got off started on in the beginning, and then got into road trip. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever taken a road trip. Some of you have taken long road trips. <laughs> but I remember, you know, when when I was younger and had more patience, and I had uh, three kids, and we would get in the old blue van, and we would take off for the depending on how many stops we had to make for the 12-15 hour trip up to fishing camp in northern Vermont. And that was a lot of fun. And I, you know, my wife thinks I'm nuts because she didn't go every time. But there were many times I would uh, take off work on Friday and drive Thursday night all the way the 12 hours up there. My dad stayed at a fishing camp on a lake. And I would drive straight through Best time I ever made was 12 hours. And drive straight through and fish Friday and Saturday, get up Sunday morning, head home, stop at a place on the way home, and then drive home and go back to work Monday. And I, I would do that three, four times a year. My kids have, I can say, nothing but fond memories of those trips. Even at times I would take my all my kids and maybe one or two of their friends and you know leave my wife home with the dogs or whatever she wanted to do and we would we would head off and i i there was there was a place up in the mountains that we would i i knew a shortcut it was a dirt road over the mountains through northern vermont south of the canadian border and We'd hit it about two o'clock in the morning, and I'd be driving fast down these dirt roads through these mountains at two o'clock in the morning, and turn off the headlights. <laughs> and I had such fun. The kids would just scream and stuff, and you know it was it was. I didn't do it for too long, but I I I knew the road and I, I and I planned it. Gosh, with wisdom doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> but I I planned it well. There was also a place, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about these things because there are, there are spots that we hit along our journey that mean something. And there was a place up on top of this mountain. It was a spring coming out of the mountain. And water just pours down. And it got to be, and my kids knew it, we'd have to stop and we'd have to get a drink and they'd have to stick their heads under the water to, to be anointed into the the northern Vermont area. And again, when we did it, even with my wife with us, she would say, oh, funny. So There's other trips that we took, road trips coming back from Florida one time. I remember the transmission went out in the van in the Tennessee mountains. And if you've ever seen... Uh, Chevy Chase uh, vacation. I stopped in the place and it was, well, can you fix it? He says, well, how much money do you have? <laughs> so, not not every road trip was pleasant. My kids remember that one too because we stayed in the motel, but the pool was green. There was no restaurants. And if we'd made one more exit, there was all that stuff. But, you know, sometimes we... You know, we take these things and we take them for granted. And I, I hope my kids never take it for granted. Because I, uh, I recently, last, last fall, went in to visit my brother and his wife, and they live on the Oregon coast. They had owned a bed and breakfast on the coast, looking out over the ocean and stuff. And I go, I need to go walk the beach. It's windy feels like you're being sandblasted on a real windy day, and it's always windy. So, they said, we're not going. We'll give you directions, but we're not going. And I went, and it was beautiful. You know, the huge trees that had washed in from the ocean and odds and ends of things that had been out in the ocean. And I remember one time I was there, and I found a Quaker oats can in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> So I gave it to I gave it to my brother as a, a souvenir, but they, did, you know, and they said eh, it's been eight, ten years since we've gone out there. Eight, ten years since we've gone out to walk the beach and look at the ocean and the waves and the rocks, and the seals. And I mean, I just I went out there and just sat, and that's the way we are with as as all people. We get to the point where familiarity. Breeds contempt. We've seen it before. We've done it before. We've heard it before. And I'm, you know, I know about it. And I'm just not that interested in going there again. So that's where I left off last week. Because we came to a road sign called the Incarnation. And that's what I really want to spend my time on today. And I was wondering if, in in my thoughts the other day, I was going, um, are you one who has lost the awe and joy of the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of the Trinity, of the dance of the Trinity? Were you included in their midst? And do you say, I've seen it all, I've heard it all before. I've been to the Christmas pageant. I've seen the Easter program. I don't need to hear this anymore. I know it all. I heard you say First Assembly, you know, and I attended there 25 years and did a lot of the acting and the the programs, and it made me think about that. Does it get down to be just a program? Is it just done for entertainment and hope somebody catches the true meaning of it? Has the glory of the relationship between the Father-Son and Spirit- which began and continues in nothing but perfect love for us. Perfect love for us. Has that become nothing more than just saying now I don't feel like going to see the ocean and the waves and the magnificent views and I've seen it all before. Is that the way we start treating the the Trinity? And I think what's really sad is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. We've done that a lot. So today I, w- I want to go through some things, and I, and I want to spur you on maybe to spend time and just think about the Incarnation. The Incarnation, the enfleshment of God. God put on flesh. You know, you just say that and you go, wow. Why? How? All those questions start popping in. But is out of nothing but love for us. In the book, um, Spiritual Evolution, John McMurray talks one chapter about the Incarnation. And I think a good place to... S- to start, is some statements he made of what the incarnation is not. Let me give these to you. It is not God coming in secret to help or punish His children. It is not filling a moral obligation His children cannot do. It is not a reflection of God as a painting with no substance. It is not a mere man with a heightened sense of spirituality. It is not a myth to hide God's ugly side in the Old Testament. It's not a temporary event. That's the one that struck me. It is not temporary. And it is not a way to hide his hidden agenda. And I, I, would, I would say probably every one of those statements, there has been a message preached using each one of those as being truth. But he goes on to say, but what it is, what is the incarnation? It is Jesus being the, very, the same substance as the Father. He and the Father were one. Jesus is union of the divine and the human. God-man. He is completely man and completely God. And Jesus is the word of God. T.F. Torrance stated, He is the God of the nature of God and man of the nature of man and one and the same person. See, Jesus is a mystery. He's part of the triune Godhead who lived in the in the garden, and that's how many ever considered there was five people in the garden? The Trinity and Adam and Eve. It wasn't just Adam and Eve came in and out as she wanted to go. She did count. But there was the five of them in the garden and, and man failed and and or was put out of the garden because of nothing but sheer love. Because The father didn't want him to eat from the tree of life and be in that that state where he was. Because as it was said, he says, when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. That's all it says. It didn't say you would sin. It says you will die. And I'm probably going to start messing up my uh, notes here. Now, see, that's one of the reasons in the incarnation that Jesus had to come as a man. Why did he have to come as a man? Because he had to reverse death. The only way to reverse death is to die and raise again. Kind of makes sense. If he had been a god and, and just stood in heaven like let's say Zeus, and just say, let it be so, or whatever his terminology was. That would not suffice. That wouldn't defeat death. That would be just somebody giving an order of of trying to change something. And I thought about Jesus dying on the cross, that we may have life And it it took me back to when he he rose Lazarus from the dead. And what a beginning of that was to show the people that I have power over life and death. You all see this. I have power over life and death. But let me show you something even greater. I have power over life and death and to bring you all back to life again. So God's original attempt was family, unity and love, union with the Trinity, and Adam's fall caused the death of mankind. And that's, that's really in Romans 5.12. And as I've contemplated a lot of these things, I understand more what Peter said, that Paul. a lot of things Paul says are kind of hard to understand. Because Paul knew... The backstory to all this. Paul was very learned. He he thought as a Second Temple Jew. He he was learned. He he knew the background to these stories that be honest with you, we I really have come to understand we have taken for granted. The spiritual things behind all of this we have taken for granted. Paul didn't take any of it for granted. You know, Paul talked a lot about powers and principalities. And that's interesting. Because Jesus took authority over all those powers and principalities. And Paul talked about... Boy, I'm, I'm slipping into this. And I, <laughs> Terry just shaking his head. The Elohim. And I'm going to leave it there. But he said in Romans 5:12, "Wherefore by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men." Catch that, death passed upon all men. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when it was not when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even them that had not sinned after the simulation of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come? And that's Young's literal translation. I like, I like using that. Sometimes it's hard hard to read. But you see that Adam's death brought death into the world, or Adam's sin brought death into the world. Because sin did not exist until the law. But... They were all evil continually. So, again, why did Jesus have to come in the flesh so he could die? Jesus had to come as a human body in order that death may once and for all be destroyed. Adam brought death, and to defeat death, Jesus had to die human death and rise again. In Colossians 2, 9-15, it talks about, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sin, the flesh of the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. Herein you are also risen with him through faith and the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of the flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, blotting out the handwritten ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took us out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. See, not only did he kill, maybe that's not the not only did he overcome death and everything that went on with it, the spiritual powers behind it, he made mockery of it if you remember the Romans when they used to conquer some people they would they would march their captives behind them and lead them in through Rome and they would take the, they would take the leader and march in naked so everybody could see that we are lords over him just what they did but God when he conquered death he took the spiritual realm, and he marched it, and he made a mockery of it. One of the things we we still don't we still don't understand totally because we I'm getting a little ring up here. We, we get uh, we still struggle with good word for it spiritual warfare. Jesus did away with that at the cross. See, as, as we enter and celebrate the incarnation, we, the birth of Christ, and as wonderful that is, and we don't know much about the 30 years, we can only speculate on you know, tradition and training and of when can a, a man be a rabbi or a leader of the church. My understanding, he had to be 30 years old, but I couldn't find proof of that, so I can't hold to that. But he walked a life. This is part of the incarnation. He walked a life through everybody and showed everyone who the Father was by showing himself. He says, if you have seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father am one. And he included us into that. He drew us into that. And John said, as he is, so am I right now in this world. We have been restored to the place where we should have been from the very beginning. It is not completed yet because the Father has to do some things. But we we still struggle with day-to-day things because we don't remember what the Incarnation brought us. What it set us up for. The gifts it brought to us. And the culmination of... I don't know if that's the best word for it. The place where the cosmos changed, let's put it that was at the cross. It all changed at the cross. When Jesus passed and died on the cross and went into hell, and hell is a word we're just using, but where the dead were and brought everyone out and put them alongside with him in front of the Father. It said he led the captives or captivity captives and gave gifts to men. And that's in Ephesians. But we kinda we kinda get to the position where we think, Well that's nice. That's over. I'm gonna hang on long enough so I can see it. I'll make it by the skin of my teeth. But he set up a realm then for you to live in this world now as an Elohim, as a God. See, you and Jesus are the same. Jesus was God. He's not ashamed to call you brother. And when Jesus got to heaven and took captivity with him, he didn't say, well, now it's time to take off my earthly robes. I can go back being who I am. No, he stayed just like us. And he's there and he makes intercession for us, for the Father. And sometimes people look at that as that he's doing battle with Satan to try to convince God that we're really good enough. No, I think he's just there telling the Father how much he loves us, because the Father already knows it. But it's nothing but love. He says, "Father, I love him." That he's—that's where he's interceding for us. And we face—we face things down here, and we tend to forget how absolutely loved we are. We make stupid decisions. And we like to call that sin. Though all our sin was taken away at the cross by the blood. That was just something Jesus was doing so he could bring us into the presence of the Father. I don't think man even understood that. Even though John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'll be honest, you know, many times I thought, I have sat down and gone, boy, these people back then were really stupid. Didn't they know who he was? No, they didn't. But if I was back there, would I understand? And how many people today just have no clue on how absolutely loved you are and how he wants to be with you. And he came in a human body and he continues to be in the human body. And he took us up and we are seated at the right hand of the Father. We have all authority that Jesus had over the powers and the principalities. Amen. But we don't live it out. It's just become a a rest stop when we feel bad sometimes along the road trip of life. It's been a place that I remember visiting that one time. I remember going there one time. It's a, it's a place that lives in you. It's something that you take with you. So Jesus came, and there is so much more about the Incarnation. But I am not a doctoral student, even though I had nine pages of notes. That was a lot for me. <laughs> and I'm on my last page already. So we're forgiven of our sins because of Jesus' incarnation. Death has been defeated. There is no reason for anyone to fear death. Fear of death has to do with punishment. That's in 1 John 2, also. 1 John. See, you're not going to be punished. All your sins are forgiven. You live by grace. That is the place you ought to stay and remember and extend to others. And not just make it a, a quick signpost along the road. And I think that's as I was reading through this, I, I see that, you know, that is what we've done. We've, we've made it just a momentary event in the cosmos. But it's so much more than that. And as I was finishing up and and thinking about this, of how do I want to put this? I got thinking of Jesus, the Last Supper, sitting down and telling the disciples, this is my body, and this is my blood. Take and do this in remembrance of me. And again, another thing I think we have, as a world of believers, we have taken communion so lightly that we have just tossed it to the side. And I have experienced it in, in my church life I have preached it incorrectly in my church life. But it means so much more. There was one time that uh, I had to, I was asked to do communion. Walked into church Sunday morning and do communion. And some of you know the story. And I go, sure, I can do that. And the Holy Spirit prompted me Look up the meaning of remembrance. I remember when I went to Oregon and looked at the waves. I remember when I took my kids over the road and turned out the lights. Little just spots. Like I'm bringing something in in the past. I'm going, I remember that happened. Yeah. But the Hebrew meaning of remembrance is far more than that. The Hebrew meaning of remembrance is to take something in the past and bring it forward as it is today, now. To take something that you have experienced in the past and make it a reality now. And that changes the whole meaning of what that, that means. See Jesus was saying, Remember me. He was saying, take this moment and bring it forward. Later on when you're going through trials, when you're being persecuted. Remember me. Remember what I did for you. Remember the incarnation. And here if you wanna if you wanna challenge me, you can challenge me, but I believe God dropped a thought in on my mind. What if Jesus said, and taking the communion, and remember me. He was talking about, remember me when we walked in the garden together, before the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. This is what my blood and my body are going to bring for you. I have reestablished your dominion. I have brought your authority back to you. Remember what it was like in the garden? See, we were all there in the garden. We were in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have always been in them. We're not just something that popped out in 1930, 1940, 1950, whatever. Nineteenth <laughs> <laughs> It is not just a momentary thing. It is an eternal movement in the cosmos. And I really believe Jesus is saying, remember, this is why I came. This is why the incarnation, that I can bring you back to the garden. You... Crosby stills mashing young people. It's something to ponder. It's something to think about. Because there is going to come a time in our timeline, not in God's, but there's going to be a time when new heaven and new earth. And Eden will not just be a locality somewhere in the world it will be the reality of what we live in totally. See, I think Jesus in his incarnation was preparing us. And likelihood isn't the right word. Reality is the right word. That it is going to happen. Live like it's true, because it is Live like he loved you and has a passion for you because he does. The incarnation was the absolute most amazing gift that God could ever give to man. Not because he had to take care of some contractual obligation or he had to do away with sin so he could look at us again or some dopey little statement like that. He did it because he loved us greatly. He loved us as his family, and he says, I am going to restore my family to the way it was, the way I called it to be, and I don't care about spiritual powers, the unseen realm. It is not going to change what I am going to call to be. And we all get to be there that is the joy of the incarnation so i hope you don't think of it as a one time shot like a easter play or a christmas play or gee they sang off key or gee that was a nice drama or you know cuz that's what it's gotten to be it's gotten to be an event like the circus has come to town And the world sees us all as clowns dancing around. (laughs) But once you understand his great love for you, his passion for you, his desire for you, and how nothing will stand in his way, not even sin and death, not even our stupid things that we do daily, stops him from loving us. That's the incarnation that is who Jesus is. Jesus, our brother, who we sit with in heavenly realms. That's what. That's what. I don't do it. But if I could walk, my walk, as if I'm with God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in heavenly realms every day, what would that be like? Think back to Peter and Paul. When Peter's shadow fell on people, they were healed. And we try all these... I'm not going there. I'm not going there. We have everything we need now for life and godliness. We lack nothing. Because Jesus came in the flesh to show us that it was true. He was not a Zeus. He was not a Thor. He didn't need something done. He didn't need us to prove ourselves to him. We are accepted into the family. I end it with this. I remember watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth. Always enjoyed that one. There's a scene where Mary Magdalene, you know, it's all, it's all dramatization. Mary Magdalene comes and Jesus has been crucified and, and she comes up and, and wants to be close. And Mary, is mother, the guard stops, Mary Magdalene, And the guard looks at Mary's mother and she goes, no, she's in the family. Every one of you are in the family. You may not understand your position in the family, but it's all written out there for you to understand. You're in his family. He has made it so. Just like Jean-Luc Picard make it so just because of the incarnation something we take for granted something we don't understand because of our finite thinking but if you would take and you would sit and you would let it contemplate through your mind you will see and understand his great love for you and your life will be changed just because of his grace for you. Selah. Yea, God.